You're supposed to be in awe of El Shaddai. Okay, I get that. He's God Almighty and he makes the universe and he speaks it into existence as if I could be, even begin to understand that. But what I'm in awe of is that the God who has that kind of absolute infinite power is kind. I just didn't see that coming. Welcome to the Renovare Podcast, a place for honest conversations about interactive life with God. I'm Nathan Foster, and my guest today is author and musician Michael Card. I find it wonderfully fascinating to come across a word that's meaning is largely undefinable, a word beyond words. Words like love, hope, shalom, a word that's so packed full of meaning that when explored, it opens up a vast cavern of knowing and understanding. Michael set out to write an entire book on one word. He thought it would take a year to finish. It went so deep. Apparently, it turned into a 10-year project. As he writes, these words require paragraphs and parables to provide even a hint of all they might possibly mean. And the word he was working with has said. Apparently, it's found 250 times in Hebrew scripture. It's usually translated to something to the effect of loving kindness. But oh, it's so much more. As one scholar noted, has said is the defining characteristic of God. I spoke with Michael from his home in Tennessee. Michael? Yes. Can I show you an old record I got? Sure. Oh, gosh. Look at that guy. <laughs> if, you don't, yeah, if I only knew then what I know now. <laughs> this handsome young man, yes? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I've got a wow. couple a couple wow. of these. If you only knew then what you know now, what, if you could go back to your younger self. I, would I wouldn't worry about so many things. I mean, I'm 64, and... Um, there are just very few things I care about anymore. The things I do care about, I care about intensely. But I just, and I think that's just, and that's true probably for everybody. When you're younger, you just worry about things that when you get older, you just don't worry about anymore. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I would tell that guy, lighten up. <laughs> lighten up, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I would tell the same thing to my yeah. younger self. Yeah. What is it you care about these days? Well, I mean, for me, it's the life of Christ. That's all I think about is the details of the life of Christ. I've been working on a book for about three years about everything that you can know about Jesus, what languages he speaks, how tall he is, you know, anything that can be known, I want to know. And mm -hmm. so uh, mm -hmm. I'm looking at two 1,700-page notebooks full of articles and uh, about 50 books on the life of Jesus I've worked through in the last three years. And I keep, I've over-researched and it's time to start writing it. And I'm kind of stuck in research <laughs> mode because that's much more fun. It's not writing, writing it's like, writing a book's like having a baby. You do it and you think, I'll never do that again. What was I thinking? That kind of thing. So, but that's what I'm, that's all I'm interested in. And I know that's all, for the rest of my life, that's all I'm interested in. How his mind works, uh, what an elegant thinker he is, what, 
you know, what did the facts of his life mean? I was in Israel um, last year, and I was bragging to this rabbi about the fact that Jesus, even though he didn't have to, he went to all the pilgrimage feasts. He walked 100 miles from Capernaum to Jerusalem, and he doesn't have to. The law says you only have to if you live within 25 miles. And this rabbi says, well, but do you know what that means? And I said, what are you talking about? He said, what does it mean? And I said, why don't you tell me? And he said, it means that Jesus spends three months out of every year walking back and forth to Jerusalem. And that wow. blew my mind. Huh. Ten, days, ten days down, ten days there, and ten days back. He does that at least three times a year. And he does it more than that. I think, John, there's an indication in John that he goes when there's not even a feast, he goes. So that's the kind of stuff wow. I'm working on. Why do you think he walked so far so much? Well, that was because everybody did, right? Um, okay. Um, when, you know, the, the question, how tall is he? He's five foot six. Based on the steps and the mileage? How do no, they figure that? No, no. Israeli Antiquity Society, uh, you know, excavated hundreds of graves of males from the first century, and the average height was five foot six. Uh, the bones of Peter in Rome, uh, Peter was five five. Peter didn't even make it to five six. And you think, oh, well, he's short. No, everybody's short. He's not short. You know, sure. that's the average. And the interesting thing, I, I talked with a guy just last week whose father had accepted the Lord on his deathbed, and he had a vision of Jesus. And he said he was standing at the foot of the bed, and uh, his father said he was really short. <laughs> so that so that verifies, you know, that, that data. But the cool thing was he asked his father, he said, did he say anything? And the man said he didn't have to. I thought <laughs> there it is. I thought that was really cool. He didn't say anything. He didn't have to. He didn't have to. Now, so, that just kind of rings true to me. Yes. That sounds yes. about right. Yeah. You wrote a book on one word. Yeah. I've even got it tattooed on my hand, on my arm. Do you? Yeah. Ah, that's a, it's a good word to have tattooed. That's the only word I can think of to have tattooed on yourself. Yeah. Tell us a little about the book. Hesed is properly pronounced chesed, but I get tired of that you know, chet, so I just say it the way English people say it. Yeah, I just say hesed. Uh, hesed is, uh, it's an untranslatable word. It, it, it's translated 169 different ways. And if you're into words at all, like I'm guessing you probably are, like I am, that I'm fascinated by an untranslatable, you know, word that means so much. But it's the word that, uh, that God uses to define himself to Moses uh, it's the word Hasidic Judaism. That's oh, sure. That's based on Hesed. And I actually asked a, a rabbi, you know, so so you guys believe in Hesed? And he goes, No, we we trust God's Hesed. That's why we're Hasidic. We're trusting mm. the Hesed of God. And um, it's you know, and of course for me, it, it's a key of understanding uh, who Jesus is. I mean, he the 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 his death on the cross was the ultimate act of Hesed. My working definition of the word is um, it's when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. That's Hesed. And so I stand before the cross of Jesus and I think I have a right, I have no right to expect anything from you. I nailed you there. Right? I nailed you there. And what does he give me? Does he give me a second chance? No. He gives me more chances than I can possibly imagine. I mean, he gives me, all, you know, everything. And that that's Hesed. Jesus. 
Jesus defines hesed in, in Luke. He says that God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That's hesed. Often translated loving kindness. Is that correct? Yeah, that translation, uh, Miles Coverdale invented that word in 1535 to translate the word hesed because he couldn't come up with a word to, <laughs> to translate it. Um, like I said, over over three or four different English translations, it's translated uh, 169 different ways. Loyalty, faithfulness, kindness, because, and this is the big thing that I learned when I was working on this, you know, words don't have literal meaning. The meaning of a word comes from the context. And there are even times when, when hesed is used uh, negatively, because words do that too. Uh, in Leviticus, if a man looks on like the nakedness of his sister, that's hesed. And there it's translated disgrace. Hmm. But words do that. I mean, what does cleave mean? Well, it means to stick two things together. It means to cut two things, you know, cut things apart. You know, it's the same sort of thing. And language just has that complexity. And if that's true, then hesed is probably the most complex word that, you know, that ever existed. At least I think so. What does the word mean to you, personally? The best I can come up is, is when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. So it's grace and it's mercy and it's love, but it's Hesed is sort of a big this big circle that grace and mercy and love are inside of. It contains all of those things. I think the big surprise of the Hebrew Bible, the big surprise of the New Testament is that Jesus is a servant. I think that's that the Messiah is washes go. people's yeah. feet. That's the big surprise. The big surprise of the Hebrew Bible is that God is kind. You know, we have, he's magnificent, he's almighty, and we have all those, you know, things, and he is all those things. But the incredible thing is that, I mean, Jesus says he's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That blows my mind. But, but God has revealed himself with a big revelation in Exodus 34 to Moses. He uses that word twice. He says he's full of hesed and he shows hesed to thousands. So it's a big word. It's a big word. How do you live into it? How do you live into it? <laughs> um, well, I think it has to be un unexpected. You you show people that may not think they deserve it. You show them kindness, and it's small things. Um, it's the touch on the shoulder. It's a cup of cold water. Uh, it's forgiving someone when they haven't asked to be forgiven. Um, it's it's showing. Um, to other people, the the hesed that's been shown to you. There's a whole category in David's life. I call it reciprocity, which is a horrible word to use. But and this is a consistent theme all through the Hebrew Bible, teaching about hesed. If you don't show hesed after you've been shown hesed, that is a grave violation. Uh, so you know, be merciful. You know, forgive others as you have been forgiven. It's that sort of idea. But one of the big violations, David was shown Hesed and he didn't show Hesed in return. And uh, he really, <laughs> that was not good. <laughs> he should not have done that. <laughs> and, and we shouldn't do that. You, you haven't gotten it. You, somehow you have, you have gravely violated God's expectation or, or God hopes that if we get it, then we'll be loving and forgiving and show grace to other people the way we've been you know, grace has been shown to us, but, and if we don't, it's like, well, you, you didn't get it. You may have missed it. Yeah. 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 
You mentioned your wife has a flower farm. Uh, Hesed in in the farm, in the flowers? Well, Hesed is me working for her when... Um, <laughs> or, or, or her helping me with something when uh, maybe during the previous day I haven't been the most gracious or uh, loving of people. But you do it anyway as an act of love. I mean, that's a, that's a small thing. But Hesed has to be, it has to be shown in small things. You know, it is. It's the cup of cold water. I don't think marriage in general can survive without Hesed. Okay. What's the old world? The old world is retributive justice, right? You obey these laws and you do these things. And if you do, uh, then you, you get the reward, basically. Well, we all know that doesn't work. God made all these covenants with us, and we broke all of them. And so what does he have to do? He makes a new covenant that's based on Hesed that he keeps keeping, even, even though we keep breaking it, he keeps keeping it. That's how the new covenant works. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. It, he, he can't make a covenant with us. We're hopeless. Uh, so that's Hesed. And I think marriage is sort of like that, too. If it's just, I'm only going to give give um, to the relationship in, in proportion to you know what my spouse has given, then I'm in big trouble. The marriage has been big trouble. You have to be kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. <laughs> In marriage. <laughs> well, it's it's quite practical too, right? Absolutely. I mean, it, sure, it works, right? Well, you know, it's loving your enemy that came in a discussion about loving your neighbor. Well, the the truth is, sometimes your neighbor is your enemy. In fact, sometimes your spouse is your enemy. And Hesed tells us there's no limitations. There's no fence that you know I'm going to love this person because they're worthy, or I'm, I'm not going to love this person because they're not worthy. All that's all that's off. That game is, we don't play that game anymore. Why? Because God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That's, that's the conclusion of why you should love your neighbor. Because God loves me and I'm, I'm ungrateful and wicked. For many people, the enemy is uh, self, huh? People, yeah. It's kind of self-hatred. Would you say the flowers growing, right? And the beauty, totally unnecessary in a lot of ways. Is that a, a sense of God's chesed? I think all kinds of gifts like that. I think if you look at flowers, the beauty of creation is a gift. Yeah, I think that's Hesed. I mean, biologically, there's a there's a purpose for all the colors, and it attracts bees and all that kind of... My, if my wife were here, she could explain that in great detail. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. It doesn't have to be that way. He didn't have to make the world beautiful. I'm noticing in your writings and, and in your music, this love of Scripture, just... Mm-hmm over and over. Where did that come from? Uh, well, I grew up in Nashville, and both of my parents were Christians, and both of my grandfathers were ministers, actually. Uh, my parents met at a revival that their two fathers were doing. Um, but my mother, I think I got it more from my mother. My mother loved Scripture. She had a you know beat-up old Bible that was everything was highlighted and underlined in. And there was an older woman in Nashville, Miss Whittemore, who taught Bible studies. And when I was, you know, 15, 16 years old, I would go to these Bible studies. There were little old ladies, a, a room full of little old ladies and me. You know, so I was, I, was a, I was a Bible nerd. I was a Bible nerd even then. And then I was discipled. by. Uh, I went to Western Kentucky University to, to major in forestry because I wanted a job that didn't involve people. And I, <laughs> I took a class with a guy named William Lane, who was a commentary writer. 
And uh, I ended up spending 26 years with him. I was holding his hand when he died. He's the real reason. I mean, I, the approach that I have and, you know, anything, anything I've done. He, he's the first person to ask me to write a song. I would have never written music if it wasn't for Bill. He, really? gave me a ser- he gave me a sermon one Sunday, and he said, you play the guitar, don't you, Mr. Card? I said, yes, sir. He said, here's my s- sermon for next Sunday. Write us a chorus. And I'd love to say that I heard God's voice, and I'm so faithful and spiritual that I responded, but I just did it to please Bill. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, Bill Lane is, is the man for And he taught, he taught my wife into marrying me, and then he married us. So wow. how cool is that? Yeah. So forestry to then biblical to studies. religious stu- biblical studies. Yeah. yeah. Can I make a disclosure? Sure. To you, uh, I I actually did the same thing. I was majoring in forestry for that very okay. reason. Put it Just, there, uh, right there. Come yeah. on, up high. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just can I hide away and uh, exactly get any anything that doesn't involve people? I wanted to do bird counts for the forestry service. I I still think that'd be a pretty cool job. It would be. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a good thing that both of us went into uh, careers that in, in, involve people. Um, yeah. Kind of an irony there. Well, I mean, I think you see that with Jesus. I mean, there's definitely he's a he can be a people person when he wants to, but it's at some point he'll say things like, you know, let's go to the will, let's flee to the wilderness, or you know, Peter, James, and John. Sometimes he gets to the point where he can only handle three people, so those are the three. But. um yeah, I think this new uh, th- video on the chosen. I think that's given me kind of a, a broader vision of what his personality was like. So I, I see him that way. Sometimes you know, he just had enough is enough, and have a boat ready so these people don't push me into the water, kind of thing. <laughs> I kind of like the idea that you're you're safe to be with people because you're safe to be alone. Yeah. Something about that that helps me be more intentional and engage when I'm with people because I'm comfortable being alone. Yeah, that's good. What do you hope people take away from the book? Um, a sense of awe at who God is, because that that that's really what the book's about. It's about um, um, how these central figures in the Hebrew Bible, and it ends up with the New Test, looking at the New Testament how they understood God to be a God of Hesed and how they were just in awe. I mean, the reason I think we're in awe of him, you sort of, you're supposed to be in awe of El Shaddai. Okay. I get that. He's God almighty and he makes the universe and he speaks it into existence as if I could be, even begin to understand that. But what I'm in awe of is that the God who has that kind of absolute infinite power is kind. And, you know, like I said before, I just didn't see that coming. And then in, in light of that revelation of who he is, Jesus makes perfect sense. Jesus is the embodiment of that. Uh, one, of the, one of the phrases that you hear in Hebrew a lot is hesed va'emet. Hesed, there's, you know, our word, hesed. And uh, emet is truth. Gra- you know, uh, God says he's, he's uh, full of grace and truth when he reveals himself to Moses in Exodus 34. But then John, when he's talking about Jesus in the opening of his of his gospel, what does he say? Jesus is full of grace and truth. And there it is again, Hesed Emmet. He he incarnates that that idea that, that here's this person who I have no right to expect anything from and yet he gives me everything. And I think people who were who were with who were around Jesus had a sense of that. I think you have a sense of that when you're around him. 
kind of exuding from who he was uh, mm-hmm. in the air, huh? Yeah, and um, he accepts you as you, like Brendan Manning used to say, he loves you as you are and not as you should be. I think you get that feeling, you know, this, there's this acceptance that comes from him, not from, and, and you see it. I mean, look at the, look at the people in his life, the people in his immediate circle. They're not, you know, people talk about this a lot, but you know, a Matthew or someone like that, who's kind of a scoundrel, Zacchaeus, you know, who is a real con man. He's a bad, he's a bad guy. He, he gets in Jesus' presence, and he gets so excited, you know, he's because he's accepted in spite of himself. And I think that's—we call that grace or mercy. We've got theological words for it, but I avoid using those words because when you say them, you think you know what they mean, but you really don't know what they mean. Sometimes I get frustrated at the limitations of words. That, yes. I mean, as helpful as they are, they, they have well, their limits. Welcome to the world of Hesed, because being frustrated <laughs> at the limit, I mean, it's this sound that you make, you know, you, these three Hebrew letters, and uh, and it's just the meaning. It, well, it's undefinable. It's vast. So, and I think of all of the, the mystery and the, the, the in, how incredible words are, I think this may very well be the most incredible word there is. That's part of why I love music is because it puts a, a tone or a color to words mm-hmm. that just help. And Hesed is most often sung. It's in the Psalms. I mean, that's where it occurs most of the time. And uh, I, think that, I think you're right. You, if, when you sing it, it uh, Socrates says when the soul hears music, it lets down its best guard. And I think what <laughs> happens is you put ideas like this to music and somehow it goes in. Yeah, it enters your brain in a different way. And the background, the the different instruments, and just kind of the synergy of that brings language to life. Yes, yeah. How do you personally work with Scripture these days? Well, I'm, I'm kind of done writing songs. I think uh, the older I get, I believe life is seasonal. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, and I think marriage is seasonal. I think people need to understand. People don't understand that marriage is seasonal, and they'll go into a winter season, and they'll think, "Oh, I married the wrong person," or whatever. And it, I say, "No, it's just a. You're just going through a winter season. That's that's just how life is." And so my season uh, for writing songs, which was I don't know over thirty years, uh, I've written over four hundred songs, overviewed the whole Bible. I kind of think that's, I sort of think I'm done. <laughs> sure. And so now what my, the call I sense now is to, in terms of writing and, and, uh, and do it like this book on the details of the life of Jesus I've been working on for so long. That's what I sense. And teaching Bible studies, home Bible studies, local Bible studies. That's, that's kind of what I feel called to. And uh, like I just got an invitation uh, to come to Toronto today. And I thought, mm, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to do that. Not because I'm not called to be a servant anymore, but I'm just, I don't think I'm called to drive to Toronto or fly to Toronto or wherever it is. I don't know. I'm working that out. I'm figuring that out. I really like that you're free to let that go, right? To yeah. be able to say, hey, I had a good run at this and there's something else that's interesting me. Or, yeah. yeah, I'm not retiring. I don't think you ever retire from ministry, but I think that that's where this idea of seasons come in. It's it's a different season. Yeah. And then your personal reading of the Bible, what what are those 
patterns look like for you? Well, that that is abysmal. Let me use a big word here. That's abysmal because okay. I'll spend all I'll spend all day. I mean, I'll show you. There's the piles of notebooks <laughs> and notes. Yeah, nice. And um, often, way too often, I, I neglect that personal reading time, and I'll tell myself, "Oh well, you've been working all day," and I know better. I know better. But yeah, I have to work at that. And the only way I can do it here, I'll show you what I do. I've done it for each one of my four kids. And now I'm doing it for my grandchildren. I read a Bible for them and mark it up for them. Huh? So it's a great way to keep yourself in the word of like, this is. Okay. And yeah, all your notes. Yeah. And so basically this is for my granddaughter, Eliane. I basically I'm reading and it's my personal time, but I sort of, I'm making notes and then when I'm done, I give that to her. So that's that's the little carrot that I give myself. Yeah. Are and you... so I've now I've got four grandchildren now. So I'm, you know that's four times through the Bible, and, <laughs> and I I don't use those programs. Those programs where you read four you know four in the law, four in the prophets, four in the, that is too confusing to me. I just start in Genesis and go right through. Work your way through. Do you do you think yeah. of them when you're doing it, or is it just this is your personal? Yeah. No, I do. Uh, I do because I'll, you know, I'll, I'm kind of conversing with them in the notes. I'll, I'll, I'll say, well, this is a really important word. You need to learn about this word. But, but it's still, uh, I still think it, it's personal reading time, but it's, it's sort of with that other person in mind. I hope that works. I hope it's okay. That's beautiful. But it, it's, it, it gives me the, uh, the kind of the impetus to, to then do it. Yeah, it keeps you going. Because if I say, I'm, I'm going to go have my quiet time. Uh, it's not going to work. Um, <laughs> for for love of a uh, grandchild. Or, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. That's a great motivator. But I, my, my prayer life and my personal Bible reading time is abysmal. I just have to use that word. Yeah. <laughs> I found that it's important because so much of my work is tied with reading or study or, uh-huh. and to, to kind of have these pieces that are not connected, you know, that are, yes. um, not, I'm not kissing and telling kind of thing. Well, th- that's what I need. To, that's a good way to put it. That's what I need to learn. I need to work on that. Yeah. And I think my prayer life is basically what I find myself all day long, whispering under my breath. I just say, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. I say that a thousand times a day. That's my prayer life. That is a really good prayer, Mike. Well, really that's all one. I, sometimes it's all I got, you know, <laughs> the, Lord, thank you for this day. And, and I would like to, you know, I'm thinking, eh, okay, you, you know, everything I'm going to say anyway. So there's that. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that I don't converse, but it's, it's basically being thankful. I'll see things and I'll say, Lord Jesus, mm. you know, I don't know. And I think, uh, I was raised by, a, um, an African-American woman who that's kind of, that was her thing. I think I got that from her. Yeah, yeah. That's Except good. she would say, "Sweet Jesus, sweet Jesus, <laughs> sweet, sweet Jesus. Jesus." I knew a guy once who's uh, had background and on the streets and in, in jails, but uh-huh. he would go, "King, King Jesus." That was his thing, uh-huh. over and over well, again. <laughs> okay, here's a really good story. Uh, you got time for a little sidebar please. story? Yeah, yeah, please. Okay, my mother in her home growing up, they had a a, a woman, Lou Ethel. Lou Ethel, uh, basically you know, was in their home and my, my father, my grandfather was a pastor. And so she was very much a part of their home. Anyway, Lou Ethel's husband, uh, was Henry okay. and Henry uh, could be very abusive in their marriage. He came home one night 
And she was hiding from him upstairs because he was in a bad, kind of a bad way. And he's coming up the stairs and he gets to the top stair and he trips and he falls all the way down the stairs. Okay. And uh, so Luethel comes in the next morning and she tells my grandfather, who's a Baptist preacher, she said, uh, Dr. Brown, sweet Jesus pushed Henry down the stairs last <laughs> night. <laughs> and of course, my grandmother was horrified of this idea that Jesus would push somebody down the stairs. My grandfather thought it was, you know, he thought it was awesome, you know. But, uh, so, yeah, sweet Jesus, sweet Jesus pushed Henry down the stairs last night yeah. because he was going to hurt. He was going to hurt her. And I don't know. I'm not. I'm not going to say that dogmatically. But uh, Lou Ethel definitely thought that Jesus had intervened and yeah. protected her. A little so. Hesed there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and Hesed can be actually. Gee, I've never seen this connection. But uh, when God reveals Himself to Moses in that Exodus 34, uh, and it's usually mistranslated. It's usually uh, bringing the punishments of sins to the second and third generation. That's how. It, that's how it's said. A better translation is bringing the consequences of the sins to the second and third generation. And so what Henry experienced was the consequence of his sin. And that is Hesed, because if we didn't keep experiencing the consequences of our sin, sin would just abound. What if there were no consequences? I'm, I'm trying to remember the exact way. I, let me look at my Bible. Of course, there was a time when I would actually would have known this and had it in my head, but that time is gone. <laughs> yeah, he will, he will not leave the guilty unpunished. Bringing now the CSB says bringing the father's iniquity on the children. That's a horrible translation, and I worked I worked on this translation, so I, I'm sure I uh, objected. But he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He brings the consequences of the father's sin to the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. So he doesn't punish because the Bible says Deuteronomy twenty four sixteen each person will be put to death for their own sin. The person whose sins will die, a son won't suffer for the punishment for the sins of the father. That's not how God works. He doesn't bring the punishment, but he brings the consequences. So I suffered the consequences of my father's sin. My children suffer the consequences of my sin, and that helps them not sin like that. They'll, they'll find their own new new ways to sin, you know. <laughs> to pass down with the the putting the word natural helps me in there. The natural consequences of someone's actions comes out, right? That's a yeah, and God allows that because He's a God of Hesed. Ah, there we go, Michael. You have an album connected to this book, yes? Yep. Do you mind if we um, play a clip of a song for folks? Not at all. Excellent. Not at all. Help yourself. In one of these songs, I tried to use all 169 words. Hymn to the kindness of God. I think that may be the one where I stuck all the words together that are used to translate Hesed, and, and I, I used a, a Dvorak melody, which I'd never stolen from him before, so that was kind of fun Perfect. to steal from a new person. <laughs> Kindness, gentleness, tender, ardent zeal, endless graciousness, Dependable and real Pity, piety Patient, sure and true Goodness, faithfulness Love that's always new Beauty 
mighty strength, your matchless might, your holiness in kindness seen. Beauty, loyalty, generous and kind, relentless. Maybe the last thing I'd say, um, I love this reading Bible and marking it up for your kids and grandkids. And I'm, I, It's a great idea. Yeah, if you do that for each one of your children, as, as I did for mine. Now, two of my kids don't care that they've got it, but I'm hoping when they get older, of course, they're, in, they're all in their 20s and 30s now. They should be caring about it now. But um, <laughs> two, two of my kids, really, that's a real treasure to them. And if I, if my father or my grandfather had done that for me, I can't tell you what that would mean to me. That's a, that's yeah. a family heirloom, right? I mean, it, I would yeah. imagine it'd be their most valuable possession, potentially. Yeah. What a gift. Well, I have my, my, I have my grandfather's Bible, but he didn't believe in marking it. <laughs> he marked, he marked his Tennyson, but he wouldn't mark his Bible because in those days you didn't do that, right? Right. Mark it was sacred. Bible. Yeah. I had, um, I at one point asked my dad, I said, hey, when, you know, when you, when you pass, could I have, and it was a Bible, he, as a young kid that he, I mean, it's just trashed. And then uh, he said, yeah, okay. And, and then one year for Christmas, he gave it to me and said, well, why, why wait till I die? Here you go. And good for him. Oh, good it. for him. Mm, yeah. I love it. I love it. Hey, Mike, this is great. Thank you so much for the time. This has been a real encouragement to get to hang out with you for a little while. And again, his book is titled Inexpressible, Hesed, and the Mystery of God's Loving Kindness. You can find more about Michael and his work at michaelcard.com. I'm Nathan Foster, and you've been listening to the Renovare Podcast. This work is made possible by the generosity of donors like you. Thank you. You can support Renovare and this podcast with a tax-deductible gift at renovare.org slash donate. Renovare is a Christian ecumenical renewal effort offering resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. You can find a collection of thoughtfully curated articles, podcasts, webinars, online classes, as well as information on events and our institute at renovare.org. I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. And if you find this work helpful, wonderful if you'd leave us a review. We do enjoy hearing your thoughts and questions. You can email podcast at renovare.org or tweet at renovare. This podcast is produced by Brian Morricon, who also wrote the opening song titled Be Kind. The opening and closing song is from Michael Card. Until next time, be well, friends. Be well.